It is customary to preface a work with an explanation of the author's aim, why he wrote the book, and the relationship in which he believes it to stand to other earlier or contemporary treatises on the same subject. In the case of a philosophical work, however, such an explanation seems not only superfluous, but, in view of the nature of the subject matter, even inappropriate and misleading. For whatever might appropriately be said about philosophy in a preface, say, a historical statement of the main drift and the point of view, the general content and results, a string of random assertions and assurances about truth, none of this can be accepted as the way in which to expound philosophical truth. Also, since philosophy moves essentially in the element of universality, which includes within itself the particular, it might seem that here, more than in any of the other sciences, the subject matter itself, and even in its complete nature, were expressed in the aim and the final results, the execution being by contrast really the unessential factor. On the other hand, in the ordinary view of anatomy, for instance, say, the knowledge of the parts of the body regarded as inanimate, we are quite sure that we do not as yet possess the subject matter itself, the content of this science, but must, in addition, exert ourselves to know the particulars. Further, in the case of such an aggregate of information, which has no right to bear the name of science, an opening talk about aim and other such generalities is usually conducted in the same historical and uncomprehending way in which the content itself, these nerves, muscles, etc., is spoken of. In the case of philosophy, on the other hand, this would give rise to the incongruity that along with the employment of such a method, its inability to grasp the truth would also be demonstrated. 2. Furthermore, the very attempt to define how a philosophical work is supposed to be connected with other efforts to deal with the same subject matter drags in an extraneous concern, and what is really important for the cognition of the truth is obscured. The more conventional opinion gets fixated on the antithesis of truth and falsity, the more it tends to expect a given philosophical system to be either accepted or contradicted and hence it finds only acceptance or rejection. It does not comprehend the diversity of philosophical systems as the progressive unfolding of truth, but rather sees in it simple disagreements. The bud disappears in the bursting forth of the blossom, and one might say that the former is refuted by the latter. Similarly, when the fruit appears, the blossom is shown up in its turn as a false manifestation of the plant and the fruit now emerges as the truth of it instead. These forms are not just distinguished from one another, they also supplant one another as mutually incompatible. Yet at the same time, their fluid nature makes them moments of an organic unity in which they not only do not conflict, but in which each is as necessary as the other, and this mutual necessity alone constitutes the life of the whole. But he who rejects a philosophical system, i.e. the new philosopher, does not usually comprehend what he is doing in this way. And he who grasps the contradiction between them, i.e. the historian of philosophy, does not, as a general rule, know how to free it from its one-sidedness, or maintain it in its freedom by recognizing the reciprocally necessary moments that take shape as a conflict and seeming incompatibility.